Hello, thanks for joining us for worship today. My name is Michaela, and I'm thankful to be a part of the Heritage team. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we are so glad that you are here with us today. As a church, we exist to connect people to God, to each other, and to their purpose. So today, we invite you to worship with us in song, prayer, and teaching. Feel free to engage however is most comfortable for you. We believe that God has something to say to you today. So if this is your first time joining us for service, or if you have any questions, prayer requests, or want to talk to one of our pastors, please go to heritageqc.com connect, and someone from the pastoral team will contact you soon. We are excited and expectant for what God is going to do in our time together. So let's lift our voice as we worship Him today. Spirit by the 
So it was an ordinary Friday afternoon in the Gomez family household, just a regular Friday. In the stage of life that we were at at that point in time, Fridays were my day off, and, and so Sarah and the kids were at work and school respectively, and I remember sitting there enjoying my day off and all of a sudden having this deep-seated sense, like a drive, that I had to make dinner. Now, I know for some of you in your households, if the husband makes dinner, that is a sign that Holy Spirit is active and moving in your world, okay? I get that. But that wasn't super out of the ordinary for, for our family. I, I do a fair amount of our cooking, and so, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a big deal. But I just had this strong sense that, that instead of the pizza and leftover thing that we were going to do on that Friday, that, that I needed to make a, a real feast, like a fall feast for us. So I began to do that, like got the roast out and made potatoes and veggies and, and the whole spread. And I didn't understand why I was doing that. I just knew that I had to. It's just an inexplicable sense that I needed to do this, that, that not doing that simple thing of making dinner would be somehow disobedient. So I went about making dinner for our family and, and, uh, and even felt like, man, we should really do it up. So, so found the tablecloth and put it on the table, which if you're a household with little kids, you understand you don't put tablecloths on things because it becomes a goo fest in about a second. So, so you know, but that's what I did. I put a tablecloth on and a runner and candles and like, you know, did it up. Instead of the, the paper plates that we love so much, because cleanup means putting it in the trash and being done. I actually took out the real plates that require washing after dinner and like set those out. And for some reason, I even remember making sure that we had a couple of extra clean because the meal I was making was far too big for our little family of four. It didn't make sense that I was making this meal for a family of four. We were going to have leftovers for days and days. But I knew that I knew that I knew I was supposed to be doing this thing. And so then Sarah and the kids come home from, from work and school, and they see the table laid out, and they're just like, what is happening? Dad, are you okay? You know, like, what's, what's going on here? And, uh, and you know, I just kind of told Sarah, like, I felt like I needed to make dinner, so here we go. And she's so gracious. She's like, okay, you know, go, go do that. And uh, as it's about, I don't know, it's probably about 20, 25 minutes before dinner is ready. The doorbell rings. And I'm, I'm busy in the kitchen doing, you know, kitcheny things. And Sarah goes to the door and has a conversation. I can kind of hear a little bit of what's happening there. And, and uh, she comes back and she says, so um, at the door there's this man, we'll, we'll call him Jason. And, uh, and Jason is, uh, is telling me he's homeless. They need gas money to get where they're going and have offered to rake our leaves if we'll pay them for that. They, they don't want just money. They, they want to do some work for us and we can pay them and that's how they'll get some gas money to go where they need to go. And I was like, yes, because now I don't have to rake the leaves tomorrow. That's great. So yes, please go do that. And as soon as Sarah turns to go back to the door, I know that we are supposed to invite them in for dinner. Like, I just know it. So Sarah, so Sarah comes back, and, I, and she says, I can't remember who, who said it first, but I think, it, one of the two of us, I think it was her, she said, I think we're supposed to have them in for dinner. And I was like, 
Me too, but I thought it was too crazy to say that because we've got little kids. And so Parenting Advice 101, right? Like, don't have strange homeless people in your house while you have tiny little kids there. That's just like, you know, a, a good thing to know. And so immediately, as soon as Sarah says, okay, I'm going to go have them wash up and get ready, let them know it's going to be ready, we'd like to have them in. As soon as she leaves to go do that, I begin living in conflict, right? Because on the one hand, I want to do what I think I'm hearing we're supposed to do. And on the other hand, I have visions of the headlines of a local pastor whose family goes missing after inviting strangers in for dinner, right? There's just this, this tension, this risk, but this expectancy as well. And so then, you know, uh, Jason and his, and his girlfriend, they come in, they wash up, they sit down, and I remember Jason looking across the table. I mean, he is this, he is the epitome of, of a, uh, a well-kept but very obviously homeless person. And he says, whoa, you guys eat like this every night? <laughs> it's like, no, we do not, <laughs> you know. This is like Thanksgiving. And what I was able to say is, no, we don't eat like this every night, but then we began to have a conversation. Guys, this is a true story. I am not making this up, okay? We begin to have a conversation about how God loves Jason and his girlfriend so much that he wanted us to have a great big fall feast for them. And that God loves my family so much that he wanted us to get to meet them. And we began to have conversation about things that had been going on in their lives and different aspects of, of what was happening for them. It was a messy, 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 messy story. And yet, as we're sharing and hopefully sharing with truth and, and grace the love of God for them, as that is happening, this really frankly, ordinary meal in an ordinary house with an ordinary family at an ordinary dining room table becomes a place where heaven and earth meet. I had no idea what God was up to in that moment. I just knew I had to make a big dinner. After dinner, we, we sent them on their way with money for the work that they had done and all of the leftovers that we didn't want to keep in the house and, and said, you know, Grace be with you, like, go, peace. And kind of forgot about it from there. I, I remember after they left, I had a conversation with the kids. I don't even know if they would still remember it, but, you know, it was a conversation about, like, I don't know why we were supposed to do that. You know, the Bible teaches us that, that sometimes we interact with angels and we don't even know it, so, so maybe we had a couple of angels in our house tonight who looked like homeless people. I don't know. But I wanted my kids to see that we were trying to listen to what Holy Spirit was saying and trying to be faithful as best as we could. And, you know, to date, we have not gone missing. So that's good. Now, I share that story with you because I think for each of us, there is this desire and this sense that we are made for something more, that we're made for in that moment. It felt a little risky and a lot adventurous. And frankly, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I think we all know that we're made for things that are a little risky or a lot risky and a little adventurous or a lot adventurous and a whole lot of fun. But we look at our day-to-day -day living, we look at how we go about the everyday stuff of life and we wonder why isn't it that thing of adventure and purpose and meaning that we know that we're made for. In fact, Jesus himself, as he was teaching his first followers, he said, I have come. He kind of gives his 
grand mission statement of saying, I have come that you could have life and have it to the full. And I'm convinced that the life to the full thing that he's talking about there is a life of purpose and adventure and meaning where every day is marked by the fullness of his presence. And every night we can go to bed knowing we have been fully present to the presence of God and we have been fully used to the fullest of our potential to see him do impossible and amazing things through us convinced of it and unless we think you know lest we think that that was a one-off statement of jesus that preachers just like to repeat a whole lot i'm gonna invite us to to spend some time in the book of john today john is the fourth book of the new testament written by a man named john who is actually jesus closest friend and follower Uh, he's referred to as the disciple jesus loved so this is somebody who has a unique perspective on the teaching and activity and work of jesus he's the one who records jesus saying i've come that you can have life and have it to the full and starting in about john chapter 14 or so he begins to tell some story a little before that of, of jesus preparing his followers for what is to come He's telling them he's going to die. He is moving to the cross and the empty tomb. But he's trying to get them ready for that. It's, in a sense, some of the last words that Jesus is going to share with his followers before everything changes for them and the bottom falls out of the world. And so he begins to tell them and prepare them about what is going to happen. And Then, as part of that, central to this conversation of what's going to happen and what they need to know and what God would want them to carry with them when the bottom falls out and when new things start to happen, central is this promise of a person called Holy Spirit who will be coming to them. And this is part of what is going on in John chapter 14, verse 12, when Jesus says, this is quoting him, he says, very truly I tell you. I want you to pause there. And I know as soon as the preacher reads a couple words and says, let's pause and like dig into that, you start going, oh no, this is going to be a long day. Don't worry, we're only going to stop a couple times along the way, okay? When we read these words very truly, I tell you, in some of the texts that maybe you're reading, some of the translations, it says, truly, truly, I tell you, or verily, verily, I say unto you. There's this very truly sense, and it's actually a word that you probably are familiar with in Greek. It's the word called amen. It's, it's the word that we use at the end of our prayers to kind of mean sincerely me, right? Or like the end. That's kind of how we use amen, the word amen. But in this context, and and the way it's meant to be used, the word means it is so, or so be it. And so Jesus starts this part of the conversation with, this is doubly so. It is very true, it is very true. It is doubly promised, it is doubly promised, right? Like, this is a double promise that you need to know. This is a double truth that is essential, because I'm getting ready to go. So he says, Truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. They, the people who believe in me, are going to do greater things than I have done because I'm going to the Father, and when I go to the Father, I'm sending Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit somehow is going to allow, enable, and, and cause my followers, anybody who follows me, to be about even greater things than I have done. Now, just to get a context of what some of that might be, let's take a quick look at some of the things that Jesus has been up to up until this point. I made a list. Don't worry, you don't have to write it down. It's not even on the slides. But here's, here's a little bit of what Jesus has been up to up until this point. He has been healing. He has been dead-raising, sin-forgiving, image-restoring, freedom-bringing, oppression-releasing, hungry-feeding, life-giving, heaven-on-earth-expanding as he carries and reveals what it is for heaven to be here on earth. It's part of why there's this great clash wherever Jesus goes, because he's bringing the goodness of the kingdom of heaven and it's running into the brokenness of our world this is the good stuff that jesus has been doing i mean think about that think about some of the things if you're familiar with the story at all of jesus the things that he has done up until this point he walked up to an empty grave and shouted inside lazarus come out and a dead man comes forward a dead girl is raised to life. Blind eyes are given sight. People who have been oppressed by spiritual forces of darkness find incredible freedom. People who have done everything they can and spent every penny they have to be healed and for that not to come true find that with just a brush of Jesus' cloak, they are fully restored. And Jesus says, it is so, it is doubly so, that if you believe in me, you are going to do greater things than this. Now, I do not perceive Jesus to ever speak an untruth or a partial truth. But I wonder, friends, if Jesus, the guy who predicted and fulfilled that he would die and rise again, the only one in history to do that, if Jesus says, I'm telling you, when I go to my Father, you are going to do things greater than I have done, why is it that the greater things seem to be so few and far between for us? You see, I get the sense in the passage of Scripture that we've just read that Jesus is saying, because Holy Spirit is coming, these things that you've done, they're gonna, these things that I've done, you will participate in exponentially greater that somehow the gathered people of God as we gather, that the Spirit of God here will raise the dead and heal the sick and give sight to blind eyes, that oppressed people will be free, that even systems and structures that are crushing people under their weight will be transformed by the very goodness of God on display in the people of God. If Jesus says it is true, it is doubly true, where are the greater things? I mean, don't we have to ask ourselves to hold ourselves before him and say, God, if you said this, what's lacking? What's missing? Where, why is there this gap? So let's dig in a little further into how Jesus continues to speak about these things. Same breath, he hasn't even he hasn't paused to breathe yet. He says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And in case you missed it the first time, he repeats it again. He says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. 
Whatever we ask for as a person marked by operating out of, living out the heart and intent of Jesus that will glorify God, ask it and he will do it. Now some of us have been brought up to understand that asking for something in Jesus' name is kind of like tacking on a magic word to our request so that it happens, right? Like, oh God, help me win the lottery, shazam, I mean in Jesus' name. Right? No, this is, that's not how this is supposed to work. When we ask for something in Jesus' name, it is saying we are asking for this with such confidence that, that Jesus himself would be the one asking for it. That I can ask for it with full authority and expectancy that it will be done because I have united my heart and he has united his with mine so much that for, for me to ask is for him to ask. That I can ask in his name with expectation and full authority. Not because I'm asking out of selfish motivation, but because I'm asking with the very heart and mind of Jesus for these things. And so he says, anything you ask for in my name, I will do it. I wonder, I wonder how much of what we act in, I wonder how much of what we ask for is about our own glory and power. When Jesus says, no, ask for it in my name, and then the Son will be glorified in the Father, right? There's this expectation that God receives glory. I wonder how much of what we ask is about our own convenience and our own comfort. I wonder how much of what we ask and live into is out of frustration more than faith, or selfishness more than sacrifice. What if part of experiencing even greater things, the power and purpose of the kingdom of the risen Jesus, means asking for what Jesus would ask for so that we can confidently continue in his way and his work? What if we were to ask everything out of love for Jesus first and love for the people around us? So again, this is the same conversation. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it is doubly sure you'll do greater things. It is doubly sure that if you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. And he continues, and he says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. Our love for God cannot be divorced from our obedience to him. Love of Jesus is seen first and foremost in obedience to him. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Here is again a promise of Holy Spirit to come. But here's what Jesus is saying. Just look at it. He says, listen, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And when you love me, and it's evident because you're listening to what I'm telling you to do, then I'm not telling you to ask in my name. I will ask for you. And the spirit of truth will come. You don't even have to wonder if you're asking with right motive because I'm just going to do it. 
And here's this sense that we begin to see unfolding before us right here. And it's this, that as you and I seek to be people of obedience, seek to be people living into the even greater things that God has for us, and he, friends, has even greater things than we can even imagine. That as we live into that, and we try to do it in our own ability and own strength, we will very quickly come to the end of ourselves. We will very quickly discover that there is no part of us on our own that can live out the fullness of God, that can be truly obedient. And so it's no mistake that in the same breath where he says, if you love me, keep my commands, and the spirit of truth will come. Loving Jesus is in keeping his commands. Somehow, even greater things, the even greater things that God is calling us into, are found in consistent, spirit-filled, spirit-enabled obedience to Jesus. Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into greater things. Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into love and obedience. Jesus then goes on from here and speaks about Holy Spirit as somebody who is a teacher and a guide and a counselor and a comforter. And he says that Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us of the teachings of Jesus. And then he gives us a word picture of what it looks like to have our life so entwined with Jesus that it's impossible to tell where we end and Jesus begins or where Jesus ends and we begins. He uses the picture of a grapevine and branches. And there's this invitation for you and for me to be so persistent in our pursuit of the goodness of God and so persistent of our pursuit in the life of Jesus that we get to this space where we are living out full, fruitful lives where we can't tell where the presence of Jesus ends and our presence begins. And it's in this context that then he goes on to speak more about who Holy Spirit is in John chapter 16. In fact, he starts, he says, I have a lot more to tell you, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not only speak, he will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will tell you what is yet to come. That Spirit will bring to us an awareness of what is right and true. And he will even give us a sense of what is coming so that you and I can be ready to make the most of every opportunity to bring the kingdom of Jesus to bear. He doesn't give us a sense of what is coming so that we can rest and say, I told you so when it comes to pass. The idea that Holy Spirit tells us what is coming is a reminder for you and me that yes, we can have a sense of what is coming. And sometimes we, act, we do. Like some of you have had this experience where you kind of go, you look across the breakfast table at your significant other and you say, I don't know why, but I think it's time to list the house. Change is coming. I, I don't know why, but I feel like I've got to go back to school. And I really don't want to but I feel like that's what I've, I've got to do. I don't know why, but I, I feel like I've got to call my mom or my dad and tell them, go see the doctor. Change is coming. We get the sense of, of what's to come in those smaller spaces of life that are big spaces to us. 
But God is also reminding these people who are listening that this is the same God who sees everything that is coming down the pike, that there is not a single thing that you or I will encounter that God was not aware of and where Holy Spirit has not already gone ahead of us into that thing. Tomorrow, there is no challenge you will face. There is no prognosis you will get. There is no interaction you will have. There is no problem you will encounter where Holy Spirit of the risen Jesus is not already in that space making a way for you. And so when we have confidence in that, then even the unknown things are not frightening to us. We live in assurance, in knowing that the spirit of truth has gone ahead of us so that we can bring the most, make the most of every opportunity to bring the kingdom of Jesus with us. Makes me wonder, all of this conversation that we've had so far, as we look and see that Jesus says it is true, it is doubly true, that you will do even greater things than these. It is true, it is doubly true, that whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. It is true, it is doubly true. Holy Spirit is coming as the Spirit of truth to lead you into truth. If this is what Jesus says, and there seems to be a gap between what he promises and what we experience, I wonder if we might find something, if we ask Holy Spirit to help us answer this question, if Jesus promised even greater things, then where are you and I settling for less? Where have we settled for less? You see, I'm convinced of this, that Jesus' declaration that greater things were for his followers to come means that you and I are called to risk. That whole invitation to greater things is an invitation to risk. We're to risk in obedience. When Jesus says, hey, if you love me, keep my commands, there's an invitation to risk in obedience. And so I wonder, friends, where are you settling for less in the obedience spaces of your life? When it comes to to how you lead, how you love, how you parent, how you interact with somebody else, how you view every opportunity that you're given in any given day. Where are you settling for less in spaces of obedience? I'm convinced that Jesus' declaration of greater things for his followers means that we are called to risk in what we ask for. Jesus said, whatever you ask for in my name, I will do it, and I wonder, where are you asking today for too small a thing? Where is Jesus inviting you to ask, not just with his purpose, and not just with his heart, but with the mind of Christ and fresh imagination to ask for even greater things? Where are you settling for less in what you're asking? I am convinced that Jesus' declaration that you and I are to be about these greater things is an invitation to risk, and it's that we risk in what we expectantly live out. That you and I are called to risk with expectancy for the sake of the kingdom of God. So where are you settling for less in what it means to live out the goodness of God? 
as you process that, as you just sit with Holy Spirit for a moment and ask him to help you answer these questions, I'm going to invite, if the graphics folks can leave this up just to process, I'm going to read another passage of Scripture to us as you just sit and process these questions. This passage of Scripture is one that John again writes for us, but he is recording what has happened after Jesus has died and risen from the grave. And his followers find themselves afraid and worried because nothing is as they thought it would be. As you're answering these questions, I would wager that you will find invitation into spaces where you'll have opportunity to be afraid and anxious. And so listen to these words from John chapter 20. The writer says, on the, eve- on the evening of the first day of the week, now, first day of the week here is an important thing. It's a hyperlink for us. If you, if you are following in your note guide or you're a Bible writer, circle first day of the week a couple times. Because throughout this chapter, the writer has gone out of his way to remind us that this is happening on the first day of the week. And what it ca- should cause us to do, if we're familiar with the story, is to hyperlink to another first day of the week. That on the first day, everything was dark and void, and God said, let there be light. It's, a, it's an indication that there's a new kind of creation coming, that it's here, in fact. On the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed and they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be Be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The call to greater things is a call to risk. The call to greater things is to the greater than workings of Jesus that we're to participate in and to expect in and to ask in and to risk in. And it's there that Jesus himself sends us. As the Father sends me, I'm sending you, he says. And then again, reaching back into the earlier part of the story where a lump of useless clay is breathed into by the breath of God and becomes an image-bearing person. Jesus breathes out his breath and says, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, Jesus knew that new creation had come and this whole new group of people, they were going to live it out and they were going to help people encounter the risen Jesus as they could never have imagined before they were going to do even greater things. But I'm also convinced he knew this, that to live in a new creation will require a new spirit. To live in a new day will require a new spirit. And there are some of us who have been frustrated and angry and wondering and feel distance between who we know we're called to be and what we're experiencing, between who we know the church is meant to be and what we are living out. And we don't understand why there's this dissonance, and I wonder if it's because we're insisting on holding on to a spirit of yesterday when Jesus himself has breathed out and said, receive not the spirit of this world, but my spirit. 
The spirit of this world will move you into places of fear. The spirit of this world will move you into selfishness. The spirit of this world will tell you you have to grab power and wealth while it's there for the grabbing. But my spirit, my spirit will cause you to pour yourself out for the sake of others. My spirit will move you into places where freedom is experienced, where blind eyes can see, where hearts are restored, where lives are given freedom, where the dead are raised. And here we find ourselves, friends, don't move quickly past this moment. Jesus himself, I believe, is speaking to us and saying, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, receive the Holy Spirit. It will mean that we risk. It will mean that we lay aside preference and understanding and what we design and desire for the sake of something greater. But I got to tell you, somebody asked me the other day, what was, what was my dream for heritage? And I said, I want, you to, I want you to know that the thing that I cry out to God for, when I walk through this space and I ask God to do impossible things before our Sunday gatherings, I ask him that he would pour out his spirit on us. That There would be something so different about who we are as Heritage Church. That as soon as people turn on their TV or they drive on to the the parking lot or they enter into our worship centers, they would be aware that Holy Spirit of the risen Jesus is in this place. And they don't even have to ask for it. But they find that they are healed where they're broken. They find that they are free where they're in bondage. They find that the dead things in life have come back. They find that Jesus is alive and that people are stumbling over themselves to get in the doors and gather with us, not because the preaching is great or the music is great, because the spirit of the risen Jesus is here. And he would change everything. That's my dream for us. And I know that it is the dream of spirit for us. It will, call, it will call us to risk and pour ourselves out so that spirit can fill us to fullness. You know, it was about eight months, nine months later that uh, there was another knock on my door. And there, standing on our porch, was Jason. His girlfriend wasn't with him. And I remember talking to him, and he just said, I'm here to talk to you. I don't want anything. I just want you to know that about eight or nine months ago, everything changed. You see, that same sense that we had, that heaven had met with earth and earth with heaven in our dining room, he and his girlfriend had that too. And they had gone, she had gone back home and was in a program to get clean from her addictions. And he was coming into town to to kind of finish up some things. And he wanted me to know that they were connecting with a group of people who were like that family he gathered around the table with. People marked by God's spirit and presence. Now, I want you to know, I didn't want to tell this story because I'm always afraid that, that I, will, I will make myself look better than I really am. And, and the story isn't about how great or not the Gomez family is or isn't. There's a reason why in, in most of my stories that I tell you, I'm the buffoon in the story, okay? But I felt this strong impression that I needed to share this moment with you because, one, I'm not inviting you into a space of obedience that the Gomez family isn't actively, earnestly trying to live out every day. 
but also because I want you to hear how a simple meal, an everyday meal, on a normal Friday, in a normal dining room, with a normal family, became sacred space where even greater things started to happen. And I wonder for you, as you go out from this place today, and you go into a week that is going to be filled with mundane things, with the everyday stuff of life, of work and kids and family, what would it look like if you left from this space with a new spirit, with the spirit of the risen Jesus and you went into the ordinary spaces that you're invited into, except now you carry to overflowing the fullness of Holy Spirit. And that mundane place of work and school, and that mundane place of, of man doing more laundry and cooking more meals, and that mundane place of, of saying no a thousand times and yes a hundred more, and that mundane place becomes sacred space where heaven and earth isn't that a greater things space? And so here's how I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that we would receive this spirit that Jesus said we were sure, we were doubly sure, would lead us into even greater things. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, Lord, where we are not hungry for you, make us hunger. Where we are not thirsty for you, give us a thirst that can only be quenched by you. Search us and know us. Oh God, we risk in asking this, we know, but we also know you are faithful. Would you pour us out of everything that is not of you? Pour out of us our pride and our hubris. Pour out of us our selfishness and insistence. Pour out of us where we try to do things in our own strength. Pour out of us the answers to the questions that we have come up with. Pour out of us the dreams and desires that we've cobbled together on our own. Pour out of us all that we are that isn't from you. And then Jesus... We hear you say, as the Father sent me, I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. And we ask, oh God, with desperate hearts, fill us with who you are. Give us your Spirit. Do even greater things than we know to ask for, not for our sake, but for the glory of God the Father. Oh God, fill us now. In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light From heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes 
prophets to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt
praise.
powerful service this has been. If something during the service struck a chord with you, or you'd like to have someone pray with you or have a follow-up question, I'd encourage you to go to heritageqc.com connect, and one of us from the pastoral team will reach out to you. That's also a great way to find out which groups, classes, and events we are currently offering. If you have been impacted by this service, we'd encourage you to consider partnering with us by giving to the Ministry of Heritage Church, which makes programs like this possible. One of the easiest ways to do this is by going to heritageqc.com give. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today, and we will see you next week.